morning. Almost through January of 2024, we made it. (laughs) Well, I have many things to share with you this morning, but I wanted to start with an adorable story that I heard not too long ago. Um, Did you know that God's name is Howard? So I came across a video the other day of a mother and her young daughter, and the mother asked, what did you say God's real name is? And the little girl replies with the most confident answer, Howard. And the mother says, how did you know the Lord's name is Howard? And so the little girl, without missing a beat, she says, or she begins to write or recite a very well-known passage of the Bible. She says, our father, who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. (laughs) I'm definitely a fan of children learning about the Bible and learning how to pray, and it amazes me sometimes how children hear things and process things, and it's always important to ask questions and to spend time clarifying scripture with our children. I know I do that with my son a lot. So today I would like to focus on some scripture related to worship. Harmony and worship today is my title. I am sure you will recognize the lyrics to this worship song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I think that for many, if I were to ask what you believe is one of the most popular hymns or worship songs, or at least the most recognizable, many of us would say, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is a Christian hymn published in 1779, written in... 1772 by English Anglican clergyman and poet John Newton. Here's another popular one. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. How Great Thou Art is another favorite. I found the story of this hymn's history through a publishing company online. Early 1920s, English missionaries Stuart Hine and his wife ministered in Poland. They heard a Russian poem titled O Stor Gud, I think I pronounced that correctly, by Karl Boberg. Later, Hine wrote original English words that is now known as the hymn How Great Thou Art. The first three verses were inspired by an unforgettable experience in the Carpathian Mountains. While in the mountains, he was offered a place to stay by a friendly schoolmaster. Through the night was a mighty thunderstorm that echoed through the mountains. This inspired that first verse. He later crossed the mountains into Romania, the birds sweetly singing in the trees as they walked through the woods and the forest glades. That then inspired his second verse. Verse 3 was inspired by a conversion of many Carpathian mountain dwellers, and the fourth verse then came about after Heinz returned to Britain. Worship is a beautiful thing, whether it's a single voice lifted to the Lord or an entire congregation like we have been participating in this morning. Words of praise turn your heart and your mind towards the Lord. The book of Psalms has inspired a lot of Christian music, as it is a poetically written book of the Bible. The Psalms gives expression to some of the deepest human emotions. This book has taught believers how to worship the Lord, taught us how to lift our hearts in praise. 
The Lord loves to hear the sweet sounds of his children's voices singing praises to him. Is this the only way that we can show our love for the Lord? It's a great way. So far we have seen worship in the form of poetry, as in the Psalms, and music, as in the poetry so beautifully integrated with melody. I also think that it's interesting to look at what strikes the inspiration for poetic music and poetry, and that inspiration sometimes comes from the works of the Lord. John Newton was inspired by the love of God. Hein, not only inspired by the love of God, but also inspired by the beauty around him created by God. In my research over the past couple of weeks, I ran across a connection between the book of Psalms and Cambridge University. Located in Cambridge, England, the Cavendish Laboratory is where scientists have studied physics since the late 1800s. Here's a photo of that building. The Cavendish Laboratory has an extraordinary history of discovery and innovation in physics since its opening in 1874 under the direction of a man named James Clerk Maxwell. The university's first Cavendish professor, or lead professor, of experimental physics. So how, might you ask, would a science lab in England be connected to the Bible, especially Psalms? I might assume what many of you may be thinking, modern science often points away from a creator trying to prove human theories, especially in the area of physics and creation. And if my topic today is harmony and worship, how is this physics lab in England connected to worship? They are definitely not known for their singing or songwriting. Before I answer this question, though, I'll ask you to bear with me as I read through a psalm together. If you would like to join me, Psalm 111. To begin with, let us look at our main text. It comes from the book of Psalms 11. If you could turn there in your Bible. A fun fact, Psalms 111 is a masterful acrostic poem. It consists of 22 phrases, each of which begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So as written in Hebrew, it is an acrostic poem. Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. He has shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. All he does is just and good. And all he commands, all his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true, to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he has. Fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. I love the last line of Psalm 111. Praise him forever. There are many wonderful things here in Psalm 111 that we need to keep in our hearts and to remember always. As I read through this masterfully written poem, I immediately pulled out ten things that stood out to me 
some things to keep in our hearts and to always remember. Number one, worship together. Verse one asks us to proclaim with godly people, share with one another, share with believers the good things in our lives. Lift our voices together in praise and worship. Verse two, I will come back to. Number three, God is love. He cares for his people. He always keeps his promises. Number four, the Lord's commands are steadfast. We should strive for true obedience to our Lord. Number five, his love has paid full ransom for our sins. We have the hope of eternal life because of what Jesus did on the cross. Number six, what God does is true and fair. Number seven, God is not fickle. God is unquestionable. Number eight, we should always have the proper attitude toward our creator. Number nine, we are not wise until we reach God's starting point. Knowledge is not wisdom. And number 10, obedience to God reveals good understanding or wisdom. With these being important truths for us to remember, it is important for us to also proclaim them. It is important for us to share these wonderful things with others. It is important to read God's word, keep it in our heart, and to share it with the people around us. One way of doing this is by lifting our voices in song. The Psalms and various poets have inspired our worship songs for centuries. Many of our hymns are cherished and performed over and over again. And Arthur Mennonite has some beautiful voices, beautiful voices raised this morning, raised to the heavens every Sunday morning. I don't think I would put myself in the category of beautiful noise, but I sure do sing my heart out. As I was reading this psalm, my attention was drawn to verse 2. I felt it was a bit different. How else can we show our praise to the Lord? Psalm 111.2, and I'll read two versions of it. New Living Translation reads, How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. New King James Version says, The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. This is where I found my connection to the science lab in England. James Clerk Maxwell, the gentleman I talked about earlier, I think understood this verse well. When he built this laboratory, he encouraged these words to be posted on the entrance door. For a believer, a science lab is a great place to ponder and study the works of the Lord, as long as your focus is on the Creator and that everything was designed by God. Everything is intricately connected for a reason that God had intended. If you have ever studied in a science classroom with God's creation at the forefront of your mind, there are some incredible and amazing things to discover. Marveling at the Lord's wonders, I believe, is a form of worship. Any songwriter or author of poetry would find inspiration somewhere. In the verses, we see God's goodness, his mercy, his promises, his love. All of these things are wonderful inspiration. In verse 2, we look at the works of his hands. It says, all who delight in them or all who find pleasure in them. Well, in my own words, wow, look at all this really cool stuff. <laughs> the 
right next to that are the words ponder and study. For a moment, this took me back to my childhood. If you could take a moment and go back in your memory to that time as well. As children, we have little sense of time. Curiosity always takes over. No worries about getting somewhere, washing the dishes, cleaning the house, meeting a deadline. Only a curious mind with endless possibilities. I remember spending most of my time lying in the grass, carrying around some type of critter, on the back of a horse, or halfway up a tree. I remember watching ants, wondering how they always seem to be in a straight line. How are they able to carry food several times larger than their tiny bodies? Where did they live? Why were they here? What is their purpose? How do they always seem to know where each other are and stay together? Or, while sitting on a branch of a tree in my grandparents' backyard, how long did it take for the tree to get this big? Why are the leaves green but the trunk brown? Why doesn't the tree die when winter comes? Does the tree eat dirt? water, air? How does that bird nest stay there and not blow away? I also remember as a child lying on my back in the cool grass at night and looking up at the night sky. At first, I would notice the fireflies. How do they light up like that? Why do they light up like that? Did you ever try to count the stars? I remember one time getting pretty far. How far away are they? Does space really go on forever and ever? How? Why do the stars seem to twinkle? How long would it take me to float to the moon? All of these things thought by a child. God created all of these magical things. Is it not a form of worship to bask in the beauty, ponder the complexity, marvel at the thought of being so small yet so loved? I want you to think of the most magnificent landscape that you have ever seen. Is it a massive mountain range, towering peaks that seem to pierce the clouds? The ocean at sunset, or looking miles down into the Grand Canyon, or looking up at the beautifully sculpted red rocks of the West. Maybe you have been the witness of the power of Niagara Falls, the magical forest and crystal clear waters of Mackinac Island, I remember my son Austin actually saying he felt like he was in a fairy tale. Maybe you are an animal lover. Have you ever studied a peacock feather? Colors that actually shimmer in the sun and blend perfectly together. The scales of a fish, all so perfectly overlapping and in any color you can ever think of. Did you know the scales are actually formed of bone? It is like a natural armor for a fish. Different fish have different shaped scales. Why are hummingbirds the only species of bird that can fly backwards? How can a giraffe have the same number of neck bones as a human? Did you know that? Did you know that virtually all mammals have seven cervical vertebrae? The only exceptions are manatees, who have six, two-toed sloths, who have six, and three-toed sloths, which have nine. I just learned that this week. In our fifth grade science class, we are about to wrap up a unit on the importance of decomposers, like bacteria, mushrooms, worms. Our ecosystem has producers, consumers, and decomposers. 
Without any one of them, we throw off the balance of our ecosystem. Whatever splendor you have experienced in your life, God created it. He created it for a reason. Worship in those moments that you experience. Stop, look, listen, ponder, study. Study the magnificent works of the hands of our creator. God is quite the artist. Johannes Kepler, a German astronomer, when he first turned his telescope to clustered worlds, he exclaimed, I am thinking over again the first thoughts of God. Would that the ecstasy of the ardent or passionate student of nature might fill our hearts as we direct our thoughts to the great works of our Savior God. Those who write poems about the goodness of God are praising the Lord. Those who lift their voices to the Lord are praising the Lord. Those who take time to paint or draw the beauty the Lord has created are praising the Lord. Those who ponder and study the works of God and give him glory for these works are praising the Lord. How else can we worship our Lord? Along with proclaiming the goodness and works of the Lord, I think that showing the love of God to others is also a form of worship. Glenn did a wonderful job bringing the message about love in his three-part series. I'm just going to piggyback on that a bit here today. When Jesus says that love is the greatest thing, we should talk about it, discuss what it means, and do that often. Corinthians is a great place to see how God wants us as individuals and as a church, how we can be a place where God's love reigns. Um, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13 was read this morning. Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. I wanted to repeat that part. That's one of the part I, parts I will focus on. While knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, but some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods, and their weak conscience are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you, with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, 
you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Here, Paul is addressing an issue that has been raised in Corinth. The topic is meat and whether or not meat sacrificed to idols should be eaten by Christians. The meat itself has nothing to do with love, but Paul touches on love in these verses. Knowledge and how to keep friends and neighbors out of sin. In verse 1 of King James Version, Paul says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Edify means to instruct or improve. In the original Hebrew language, the term is oikodome, which means to build up or the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom. I like this Hebrew definition as it uses the word promotes growth, to me implying that we can inspire growth without being forceful with knowledge. This word also, I made some connections to different languages, coming from Old French, edifier, to build, install, or teach morally. And also in Latin, um, make sure I pronounce it right, edificare, to improve spiritually. The city of Corinth was a Greek city. Greeks valued knowledge and philosophy. Paul in his letter here is telling us that being right is less important than being loving. To answer the question to Corinth, he explains that there is only one God. Idols have no spiritual existence. The act of eating meat itself is not a sin. Paul is asking them to look at their motives. Are they asking about this to prove their point, to show their knowledge, or do they really care about their neighbor? Applications from this text range beyond the issue of idol meat. It speaks to the gray areas of life. Something in itself may not be a sin, but are we thinking about the people around us and how it will affect them? In other words, is our participation in anything cultivating friendship and love? Are our actions causing someone else to stumble or struggle with something that for them will lead that person into sin? Verse 9 is asking us to consider the vulnerability of people around us. It says, but you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause another with a weaker conscience to stumble. Don't let our actions lead to stumbling blocks for other people. Careless words and careless attitudes are not love. James 1.26 says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. It is not our job to argue. Our job is to love one another. The key to Christianity is not knowing all the answers. The key is loving God and sharing that love with our neighbors, committing to doing what is best for others. And by doing this, we worship God by loving our neighbors. One more way we can worship the Lord through love, using your gifts and under discernment, serve. I would like to end today by saying thank you. Thank you for sharing your stories with one another. Thank you for working and volunteering within our communities. Thank you for cleaning, cooking, quilting, visiting, praying, singing, and singing well. Thank you for inviting people into your homes. Thank you for building homes. Thank you for being leaders and ministering in our congregation. 
Thank you for teaching our adults and for teaching our children. Thank you for putting your money to good causes. Thank you for playing music, running sound and video. Thank you for encouraging our missionaries and thinking about becoming one. Thank you for sharing the love of Jesus with your friends and neighbors. Thank you for consistently showing up for one another. No deed when done for the glory of God is useless. Our job as Christians is to nurture and support our gifts. Efforts make a difference in our church. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So as we leave today and go on with our weeks and months ahead, think about the ways you can worship our Lord and Savior. Think about ways that you can praise him with your voice and with your time. Think about ways that you can love him and show that love to one another. Think about ways that you can serve the Lord. All of these things together can produce harmony in our acts of worship. And thank you, Emily, for bringing us that wonderful message uh, this morning. Just a reminder as you leave today, um, the sign up for Peter and Simon's Meals is down on the bulletin board. If you can help with that, it would really be appreciated. So let's stand together and be dismissed in prayer. <clears throat> would you bow with me? God sends us into the world to accept the cost and to discover the joy of discipleship. Therefore, go, carry with you the peace of Christ, the love of God, and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in trial and rejoicing. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed day, everyone.